Welcome to Think Smart, Feel Smart, Live Smart. I'm V. Vincy, Registered Counselor, Relationship and Family Therapist and Founder of Headquarters Counselling Services. This podcast aims to break down the overwhelm of life and equip you with a toolbox of knowledge, tips and tricks to help you live your best life. This raw, real and unproduced podcast uses audio taken from my weekly live broadcast in the HQCS Community Facebook group. You can find a link to the community in the episode notes. It's free to join. Now let's get started. So I cannot believe that we are on the second last show for the year because I am going to be doing next week and then I'm going to take a break and then I will come back in the new year all fired up and ready to go. So I hope you guys are going to be joining me for that. We might even have a new name for the group by then. I want to say a big shout out to the new members and or as always a shout out to the main crew. You know who you are. For those of you who don't know me, I am V Vincy. I'm a registered counsellor, relationship and family therapist and founder of Headquarters Counselling. And I help uh, people pinpoint confusion and chaos so that they can achieve the clear, calm and confident life they want. I am passionate about delivering good quality mental health. Personal growth and progress are my mission and I want to inspire you to live fully and authentically and tempt you to chase your dreams, even the scary ones. This community is all about learning and connecting. So some of you will have known this from before, but, you know, whenever there's new people, I like to give you a bit of a rundown. Um, It is far less formal than traditional counselling, but is certainly underpinned by the principles of therapy and the way I work in my practice every day. Now, we have gone through a ton of topics over the last nine months. Can you believe that? I can't believe I'm saying nine months. But I changed track last week to gear up for Christmas. This time of the year can pretty much bring out the crazy in all of us. So I have focused specifically on what some of those issues can be. Last year, last year, last week, we began and we focused on Christmas grief. It's always a tough one. So if you haven't seen that, go back and have a look if it is of particular interest to you. I'm not going to repeat it, obviously, but what I will tell you is don't be turned off by the title. Grief is not necessarily about death. Grief is about loss. There are a lot of split families in terms of, you know, family law split families. But this year in particular, in particular, there's a lot of split families in terms of demographics and geographics because crazy COVID hit us and there are family members that can't be together and that in itself can feel like grief. It can feel like a loss. Sometimes just acknowledging that for what it is and embracing the sadness can help you just manage it without going right down into depression, which, you know, don't know whether it needs to be at that depth. It's just the sadness is there and it's, you know, own it, admit it, it's okay. So tonight though, I'm going to take you through how Christmas grief can be seen by others. All right, that's the behaviours that you're going to see. So if we look at this, I in, in some of my earlier lives, I have talked about a concept of shitty thinking, which gives you a shitty feeling, which will give you a shitty action. If you think about the concept of grief, it is based in hurt and pain. That's a shitty feeling. 
It will generally lead to some or a lot of shitty actions. And this sets the tone for the scenes and the sitcom that I like to call the family Christmas shit show. If you have never been to one, I'm sure there's one coming. If you find yourself in one every year, well, hopefully I can give you a few tips. Now, it doesn't need to be like that if we become aware of what's happening and are honest with ourselves and our loved ones. You can't control what other people do. and You can be aware of it as, as possible. What we want you to do is not get caught up in it. If the shit show is on and you don't want to be a part of it, the necessary movements for you are to, one, be aware of it and know how to step out of it. Because I can tell you, the shit show will go on without you. It's about whether you want to be in it and what it leaves you with, okay? So if Chrissy leaves you tempted, no, actually, Christmas is billed as the most magical time of the year, but it's also the most stressful, which is why this crazy show can happen. So you can go from overspending to clashes with the in-laws uh, and claustrophobic um, family gatherings. There are multiple reasons why we all don't embrace the festive season. So if Chrissy leaves you tempted to go for your sibling's jugular or you always end up fighting with your other half, you are not alone. Thanks to the enforced family gatherings at Nana's house, generally hot weather and a little too much booze, Christmas can be an emotional roller coaster and it's perfectly normal to not feel like Santa's little helper every single moment of the holidays. Stats from a recent survey I care, uh, that was carried out by Relationships Australia says that 68% of us are expected to argue over the festive season, with 39% stating that Christmas Day was the most likely time to have a major family bust up. What the hell? So why do families fall out at Christmas? Well, generally there are three main reasons why Christmas can be particularly challenging for family. One, expectations. Two, disappointment. And three, resentment. And guess what? They pretty much all link together. If expectations aren't meant or aren't met, this will lead to disappointment. And disappointment often leads to resentment every single time. Now, thanks to social media and advertising geared towards the nuclear family, unachievable expectations of the perfect Christmas can play a role in making us all pretty much feel inadequate and disappointed come the big day. There are problems with the expectations that we put on families to fulfil the Christmas card image of large extended families having a lovely time. There is a lot of pressure on everyone to live up to that. But the question I always ask is, did that ever really exist? Even before social media, shit, go back generations. To be honest, I we had the big family Christmas. It was never perfect, I'm telling you. We were, half the time the kids were thrown out the back because the adults were all inside fighting. It wasn't a Christmas without somebody having an argument. So... Did the Christmas card image of Christmas actually exist? In my world, the answer is generally no. There's always something in the background. It's quite rare for a family to have no major issues. What we find, however, is that some families manage this better than others. They learn to tolerate and relate 
What we find is that we become intolerant and then we can't relate at all. There's no speakies. Certain cultures will do this better or worse than some. So like we discussed last week, a lot of people actually have difficulty at this time of the year for a number of reasons. Last week we spoke of the grief that comes up with Christmas, but there are financial constraints, illnesses, family pressure. Basically, people put on a brave face to focus on having a good time and think the problems will go away. But of course, they're still there after the bloody Christmas decorations have been taken down. So let's break this down. I'm going to give you an, ex an explanation and some tips for each area. But remember, managing the first one can help avoid the second two. If you don't catch it in time, you will need to own your feelings. Address the unmet expectation within yourself and know what to do at each point. Okay, ready? Let's do it. Expectations. Now, interestingly, some of our topic discussions will play into this, and in particular, our discussions on pessimists and optimists. Pessimists expect the worst outcome of every situation. Some psychologists will say that this is a bad attitude to have, causing people to always have negative and depressed feelings towards life. But that isn't necessarily true. Hi, Sue. Nice to have you here. Now, I always say too much is as bad as too little. Sometimes expecting the worst is not always such a bad thing. The positive psychology movement tells us that five times out of ten, the outcome will be better than what you expected, causing you to be happy and not disappointed. Optimism, on the other hand, can be dangerous as they are always expecting the best and that life will always have good and happy outcomes. But as we know, this does not happen always in our lives. It's important to recognise the reality of life, which is that it sometimes sucks. Completely, overlook, completely overlooking the reality of life's uh, negatives leads us to ignore our problems instead of dealing with them. And this is the vicious cycle of expectations and by default can contribute to Christmas conflict. By making high expectations for ourselves, we set ourselves up for disappointment because not everything is going to be perfect, which only assures our frustration and unhappiness. But low or no expectations lets us consign the outcome. It's, we call it writing the script. And you can unconsciously prevent yourself from succeeding or enjoying the day at all. And here is the kicker, people. The vicious cycle creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. A self-fulfilling prophecy is when our expectations cause us to act and behave in a certain way in order to cause the expected scenario to occur. Now, just have a think about that statement because for me, that goes both ways. You know, if self-fulfilling prophecy, if you go in with the expectations are realistic, that it could be a bit of a shit show, but you know what, we can tolerate this for a day, then you will behave in a way that will determine that outcome. Flick it over and you got hell to pay when exactly you what you didn't want to happen happens. Now, all our well laid out plans of avoiding conflict may be subconsciously calling conflict. We need to circuit break that shit. How do you manage the expectations this Christmas? So tip number one. So simple this tip, but we get lost in this at Christmas time. 
Plan your week realistically. Yes, I know everyone's rolling their eyes, but do you know what? It's one of the biggest areas because when you're running around like a blue ass fly, it causes stress. When you are stressed, you are more likely to be short tempered and then you're going to be more reactive. If you know there is likely to be conflict within your family, spending extended time together over Christmas just might not be realistic. To overcome this, you've got to set achievable goals, such as shorter time allocated for particularly difficult family members on mutual ground. Arrange to meet them in a pub or go for a meal somewhere you can politely leave if the atmosphere gets tense. But be realistic ahead of time so you can avoid putting yourself into situations where it's going to lead to problems further down the line. This doesn't mean that you've got to completely remove yourself from each uh, from families. It means how do I figure out a way to be involved without causing myself too much pain? All right, make sure you are your plans are realistic and achievable. This is the honesty I spoke of. Your you first need to be honest with yourself before you can be honest with anybody else. Number two, compromise for one day. Yeah, you remember that Christmas is only for one day, so try to compromise. A healthy dose of acceptance and understanding will stand you in good stead over Christmas. So breathe deeply and prepare to meet your family halfway. When, um, you know, Auntie whoever, Auntie Beryl, uh, tucks into the shard, and her snarky comments about your career choices might leave you fuming, remember, you only have to see her once this year. You may have some people who drink more heavily than others, or maybe not at all. But compromise and decide to start drinking at Christmas dinner rather than earlier in the day. If there are arguments at Christmas, limit things like alcohol for yourself because that obviously creates extra tension and irritability. These are about you making changes, not about telling Auntie Beryl to get out of the Chardonnay. It's more about you. If you know that that happens, what are you going to do? Don't, don't go and um, match a drink for drink because that's going to end up in fisticuffs. It's not going to help anyone. Figure out what can I control and manage it. Right, number three. Make yourself busy. If you're at Christmas, make yourself busy. If Uncle John leaves you raging every year with his old-fashioned political views or Grandma hits the whiskey at uh, 11 o'clock and keeps asking why you're not married, why do you have to stay for the long haul? You don't. You can leave. You can be there for as long as you need to and then go, I've actually got plans. Catch up. Love you. Happy Christmas. See you next year. Rather than forcing yourself to spend extended time with members of your family who you find most difficult, break your time up to alleviate the pressure by finding useful jobs even. You know, go into the kitchen, start clearing away. There's all sorts of clever ways that you can create reasons to take some time out. Things like being the one who walks the dog or who finds a late night, um, you know, shot to go and buy some milk. I don't know. It's important to just take a break from the pressure of each other. Number four, this is a good one. Keep the conversation light. This is not the time of year to tackle your dad about his drinking problem or resolve the long-standing feud with your sister. Opt for a lighter conversation. And if chat turns to Brexit and family inheritance, just steer clear of the conversation. Steer it back to the weather. Alternatively, bring out the board games and stick to good, clean family fun. 
Try to avoid the heavy conversations if you can or controversial topics because unless your family enjoys debating, then knock yourself out. But I call this cliche conversations. If you've worked with me privately, I have a little topic we call the five levels of communication. The, this top level is cliche conversation. It's light. It is not deep at all. Sometimes you just need to keep it light when it comes to conflict. Number five, talk through your stresses in advance. If you are worried about having to face up to a tricky step parent or anxious about spending extended periods with your mum since a divorce, then find a family member you can trust before you head home for the holidays and communicate your worries. So you're verbalising your feelings can be cathartic. It's basically what I do with people in therapy and it's why therapy works. We get you to tell us all the things you generally tell no one. This can help you feel more relaxed when the silly season starts. So discuss how you're going to manage those few days with a trusted friend or another family member. And even if they don't share your concerns, it might be that they are better at dealing with that person that they, than you are and they can offer you some advice. Number six, look after yourself first. There is no way to resolve a family dispute being cooped up in a two-bedroom flat for the entire week with your family. It's only going to make things worse. Give yourself permission to take yourself out of the situation as soon as you can. It's okay to put your needs first if the situation is damaging to your mental health. If it is something that can't be controlled and is becoming a real problem, you may have to make a decision to say this isn't okay and either go home or get away from what's going on. Now, number seven. Seek help if it gets too much. If you need to talk to someone but you're reluctant to confide in a member of your family, you know, consider talking to a therapist who won't judge you or take sides and will be able to help you find strategies to move forward. I've actually had a number of people reach out this week and with what we term a checkup from the neck up and it's so beneficial for them and so good for me to remind them how far they've come. Because, you know, the beauty of therapy is it's nemesis sometimes. What you see, you can't unsee. It's really good. I've had people come in this week to talk about what they're going to do about Christmas. And for me to remind them how far they've come is that they can actually see that there's a problem and they don't know what to do. But what I loved is that they're not coming to me going, I'm not going to Christmas dinner. I'm not doing that. They come in and go, Oh, I know that there might be problems. I'm not quite sure how to handle it, but I know I want to learn. And that is perfect. All right. Now, on to the next one, disappointment. So disappointment is closely linked with expectations. And you're probably familiar with disappointment of some kind. Just look at this year. We probably all started 2020 with spoken and unspoken expectations. All right? I'm going to give you a few examples of what a spoken expectation is. You expected to visit family across the country because you bought plane tickets and put it on the calendar. You expected to walk across the stage at graduation because that's what you do when you finish high school. You expected to walk down the aisle at your wedding because you're engaged, it was planned and so and the date was so close. You expected to get promoted because you were next in line. You expected your business to thrive because word had finally spread. That's an expectation. They're unspoken. That's what we think. In fact, sometimes they're just goals and dreams. Get it? Now, let's look at some unspoken expectations. 
you didn't realize it, but you expected to be at a friend's wedding, you thought you were close. You expected that your partner or roommate would take out the trash because they knew you wouldn't be home until late. That's an unspoken expectation. You expected your degree or your relationship to make you feel better about yourself. You expected your work environment to be positive. You expected motherhood to feel more natural. Do you get what that means with all these unspoken expectations? Expectations are determined by a combination of experience, cognitive thinking processes, communication with others and cultural norms. We're not crazy for having expectations. In fact, we want realistic expectations. It's normal. Unspoken expectations, however, often leave us disappointed because we don't realise we have them until we don't get what we hoped for. Unspoken expectations are like a silent thief because if you're not careful, they can steal your joy. Before you know it, your inner critic is feeding your mind false beliefs about your identity. For example, at the end of most disappointments are words like not enough, it should have been, it could have been better, um, it should have had more, it should have been quicker, it should have been easier, which leave you feeling let down and unfulfilled. We need to learn how to manage expectations, not get rid of them. They keep us forward thinking, they keep us driven and hopeful. What would the world be without expecting change? Without expecting more kindness from humanity, we can walk in both grace and expectation. So how do we do it? So I'm splitting this. On the day, start here. Accept how you feel and allow yourself 15 minutes to wallow. It's important to recognise your feelings. I've spent a lot of time helping you understand that. Now, because I've spent so much time doing it, there is a little... Um, handout about this so you need to go way back to the session on meta emotions and look in the handout section recognize it label it and regulate it that is the name of the handout so when you wallow in that um, feeling for 15 minutes what do i want you to do with it name it gotta name it naming and writing down negative emotions reduce their impact forced positive thinking can increase stress levels. Let me repeat that. Forced positive thinking can increase our stress levels. That's why we say to you, don't tell someone it's going to be all right when their kid's been taken to hospital. It's not going to help them. Allow them to sit in their feeling. When somebody is in the middle of separation, they don't want to hear. Listen, just ride this through. It'll be fine. It probably will be, but right at that moment in time, that's not where they are. They just, but it's hard for other people to name your feeling. You've got to name your feeling, okay? Number two, you may not be able to control the events or the people around you, but you can control your emotional response to them. Take the high ground and take action to restore equilibrium. It's like going, where well, I call it a recalibration. All right, so these are, these are the first three points I want for you to apply on Christmas Day if the shit hits the fan. So the third one, remember that you are not a disappointment. You are experiencing 
a disappointment. You are exactly the same person you were before the news or the event with the same skills and positive characteristics. You have just hit a bump and you have the ability to manage it. Identify one small step to get moving again. Then take that action to continue on with the day and watch as your confidence can be restored. All right? Now, if you get to disappointment and you do those three things on the day, that's all you're going to be able to manage on the day. After the event, you need to go back and reflect on it. And you need, whether you do that when you go home or whether you do that a few days later, you need to start and do these next three things. So number four, learn from the disappointment. There's a famous saying, there is no failure, only feedback. Given another chance, what would you do that you didn't do? What wouldn't you do that you did? So you've got to learn from it. Go back and have a look. Number five, take a reality check. Is it really that bad? What's the worst thing that could happen? What have you really lost? And how can you recover some of that loss? Focus on what you do have. Write a gratitude list. Number six, check your expectations. There is a saying that says all negative feelings are the result of the gap between reality and our fantasy of what reality should be. Ask yourself, were you expecting too much of yourself or others? So if you hit the trifecta, you are going to get hit with good old resentment. So let's move on to that. Generally, the biggest baggage item that couples bring with them to couples therapy, resentment. It's always tucked away in the bag. Resentments can lead you to drink. This is a statement that has been made in rooms of recovering alcoholics over the years. Is resentment really that powerful? Uh, yes, it is. Resentment is that powerful. The reality of being eaten up inside is overwhelming. They say that love is the most powerful emotion, but honestly, I think rage and shame rule sometimes. It's what brings people to me a lot of the time. That's not to say that there was not love to start with, but by the time people come to me, we're often not working with love. It's anger and hurt and pain that they come in with. Those emotions seem to cut to the core the quickest. Resentments can impede general happiness and it isn't that the point of what we're doing at Christmas to be happy. Resentments are caused by a sense of wrongdoing or injustice. Many situations can end in resentment, but they usually start with someone feeling used, abused, taken advantage of, humiliated, shamed, jealous, envious. Basically, resentments live with our lesser emo emotions. So I've often talked about big core emotions. Resentment lives with the lesser ones. And um, they serve little purpose except to make us bloody unhappy. Resentments can make people obsessive. And this is where they can overthink a situation and be unhappy about it for weeks, months, shit, years. When resentments do not go away on their own. They hide below the surface and slowly chip away at us without you ever noticing. And so it's like water seeping into the beams. It's quiet, it's easily ignored, and it's insidious. It may go unnoticed until the beams rot and the whole bloody house collapses. So resentment is created within us 
when another person, especially someone we care deeply for, does something that either harms us or those we care about. Resentment doesn't cause the object of our anger, pain. It only hurts us, right? This event or situation immediately, oh, it hurts immediately. Whatever the event or situation was, it hurts immediately. However, the biggest story is what happens over time. And there's a few things, two, uh, three things actually. So the first one, you never look at the person the same again. In fact, if you knew and looked kindly upon that person at one point, you're now really, really disappointed. That's the first sign that resentment is coming. Number two, you find it harder to trust other people. So when something uh, like this happens, it extends into how you see others, not just them. Number three, you hurt really deeply. You often blame the person for your circumstances. And if you continue to allow that resentment to sit unchallenged, it will fester and cause you much pain over time. And this is what we bring to the Christmas table instead of the bloody ham. And we didn't even know it. How do you let go of resentment once and for all? Well, annoyingly, it's that old chestnut time. Letting go of resentment is a healing process in which you stop feeling angry towards another. You no longer want to punish them for what they did and instead you understand more deeply what leads people to do things to hurt you. It allows you to realise freedom, a sense of inner freedom, the one thing I wish I could bottle and sell. But depending on how deep your resentment runs, it will take some time to heal. So don't expect to do this in Christmas week. However, I want you to go into 2021 with a decision not to take this shit with you anymore. It's going to do more harm holding on than the other person. There are a few straightforward steps to doing this. Number one, you've got to separate the person from the event. So letting go of resentment isn't about forgetting what happened. It doesn't mean you're supposed to throw common sense to the wind and move on. It's simply that you need to let go of the story you're holding on to in your mind about what happened. See that the past is separate from the real person. So when you're holding on in your mind, it's not real. It's, it's, the, it's all a memory, but it's a memory that's long gone. And it's through this story that you're attributing labels to the person, such as selfishness or insensitivity. Separating the two can help um, see the true nature of the event as the mental story that you have held on to. All right, number two. Now, I said these were hard, they're painful, it's not easy, but they are reality. This is what we this is what I help people do in therapy. Look at the story. Two, forgive the person involved. Now that you've created some separation between the story and the actual person, it's time to begin the process of forgiveness. The easiest way to do this is to delve deeper into why the person might have acted in this way. When we act out in negativity, it's always because there is either some sort of suffering or lack of understanding within us, almost always the former. Ask yourself, how might they have been suffering? What might have made them act in such a way? Most of us lash out when we're angry and there's this quote that says, people who are hurtful are hurting. 
the more you can attempt to understand their suffering, even if you don't actually know why, the more you will develop compassion in place of your resentment. Now, this is not about tolerating behaviours. It's about letting go is the process for you to move forward, not them. All right? It won't be an overnight thing. But with time, you can find forgiveness by seeing the story for the mental story that it is, just like we spoke about. Number three, last one, see the resentment for what it is. Now, having separated the person from the event and started the process of forgiveness, you can see the resentment for what it is, a, a natural byproduct of the two elements coming together, the story we tell ourselves about the person or the event. In a way, because you've separated the, uh, the elements, the powerful negative feelings also begin to fall apart naturally. This is obviously a long-term process. It is very, very healing. You may be able to do it yourself. You might not. Sometimes people need just some little tips on what to do. Okay, now I've given you a big rundown of some of the things that, well, actually I've given you no rundown of what could go wrong because hell, families are crazy. What goes on in families? Oh, who knows? But what I have given you a rundown of is three distinct ways to catch yourself in feelings on the day and know how to, shit, what do I do with it? Honestly, if you find yourself caught in one of them and you don't know what to do, run to the toilet, get the phone and go, what did she say again? All right, that's, that's it, those things. Just have a look at them. Write them down if you have to. Uh, go back and re-listen. Now, that's all from me. I did go over a little bit tonight. Sorry about that. Next week will be the last one for the year. And I can't even remember what I have written about, but it'll have something to do with Christmas and it'll have something to do with this year because that's how I'm rolling at the moment. And we will pick up with a few things for next year. Uh, and I'm super excited about that. So guys, thank you for joining me. I hope you have enjoyed it. Uh, I hope it gave you some tips if you guys have crap going on for Christmas. Um, and I'll catch you next week. See ya!